Coming up this week on Blue 58, OTAs are over, but minicamp is just beginning. We take a look at this year's crop of wide receivers and wonder how one notable name could fare this year with some promising rookies around. Plus, what does Clay Matthews bring to the Packers in 2017? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the official podcast of thepowersweep.com. We are powered this week as we are every week by WTMJ Mobile. I'm your host, John Meerdink, flying solo this week. My normal co-host, Gary Zillaby, a little bit under the weather. And we are wishing him well as we wait for his return, probably next week. So thoughts and prayers out to Gary and send him a note via Facebook, Twitter, or our email address if you think of it this week. Let's dive right in with some headlines, starting with OTAs. OTAs are over kind of last week, if we're being completely honest. This week is all about minicamp. But as we transitioned from OTAs to minicamp, Gary and I went through a process that we're calling our OTAs exit survey. We asked a couple questions of each other on the blog, answered those questions going back and forth, and we've put together that entire piece on the blog. You can read it at thepowersweep.com right now. One particular question that stuck out to me was about players themselves sticking out in OTAs. And that's a really hard thing to address because Let's be real. We don't see these practices. It's not even like preseason games. There's really no actual football going on in the purest sense of the word. So you really just have to go by what players themselves are saying in terms of sticking out. And to me, the player that stuck out the most was presumptive starter at right guard, Jari Evans. Now, Jari's an interesting guy because for the first time in his his NFL career, he's playing somewhere other than New Orleans. He did have that training camp stint with the Seattle Seahawks last year. The Packers seem to be a little bit different situation than that because they are apparently, presumably, counting on him to be the starter at right guard as they head into this season and hopefully for the duration of the season. Jari Evans, for the first time, is a real, true supporting player. He's not being thought of as that reliable, all-pro, pro-bowl caliber player. The Packers just need him to be pretty good because if he's not, that puts the Packers' offensive line in the position of having two question marks out of their top five instead of just one. I don't think the Packers are terribly concerned about David Bakhtiari, Brian Bulaga, or Corey Lindsley. But uh, Lane Taylor last year, though he was very good, isn't at the level of those players. And if Evans can't be at the level of those players then I think the Packers could be in for a little bit of trouble. If he is, though, I think he's a a perfect one-year bridge between now and next year when the Packers could actually be really good at guard, depending on how some of these young players, their undrafted free agents, even their draft pick uh, from this, this past spring comes along. Next year, guard probably isn't going to be a problem at all, but this year it could get really hairy if Evans isn't solid. It's been interesting to hear him talk about being I guess more of that supporting caliber player than somebody who's counted on to be that Pro Bowl level player. And I think it will be interesting to see how his season plays out for the Packers. Interesting to note, I thought that uh, Gary identified Kyler Fackrell as a player that stood out to him. Fackrell has put on some weight from last year. He was very, very skinny throughout all of 2016. Now it looks like he's bulked up at least a little bit. He says he's added about 10 pounds of muscle and This could really be a make-or-break season for him already in his career. I know he was a third-round pick last year, but he's going to be 26 in November. Vince Beagle's coming up right behind him. If he doesn't put up some good numbers this year, if he doesn't act like the third-round pick that he was last year, 
he might be on the way out the door sooner rather than later. So that's of note from Gary. I think it's a piece that's worth your time, and you should check it out. It's on thepowersweep.com right now, our OTA's exit survey. Moving on, Gary put together a great piece, kind of a series of pieces that he's done now. One sentence on every Packers wide receiver. He's really doing, like I said, a great job with this one sentence theme. This is a good one because you get a lot of sentences out of this particular position group because there are a dozen wide receivers on the Packers roster right now, and that number could actually grow. They just tend to add a lot of bodies at wide receiver throughout this sort of offseason activities, minicamp, training camp sort of phase. You just need a lot of wide receivers and the Packers have a lot of them right now. Three of the sentences that Gary wrote that stuck out to me had to do with these three players, starting with Monte Crockett. Gary writes, Crockett toiled in football obscurity, 32 catches in 47 career games, playing for Georgia Southern, an offense built around running the ball and then running some more. We're going to find out pretty quick if Crockett can play, and one thing that is going to help him a lot is his tremendous speed. There's not a lot out there on Crockett as a player But we do know one thing, he can run. His best time in the 40-yard dash is 4.32 seconds, and I don't care whoever you are, that's pretty fast. At 5'11 and 190 pounds, he's kind of like a turbocharged version of Randall Cobb, and if they get him out there on returns, he could do some damage with that speed. Next up is Malachi Dupree. Gary writes, the darling of the draft class, Dupree thrived at LSU with 23 receptions for 255 yards when running routes from the slot. Now, this was interesting to me because Dupree's a pretty big receiver, kind of built in that Geronimo Allison sort of mold, that long, lanky, above average speed, but not all that much above average, that big go up and get it type of receiver. He tested really poorly in the agility drills at the combine and at his pro day. So it's really interesting to see that he produced so well out of the slot. That's a, an interesting development and reportedly had a very good day on the first day of OTAs for whatever that's worth. Probably not a lot, but it's interesting to see him already turning turning a couple heads. And it's interesting as well to see that he did pretty well out of the slot. Finally, Jordy Nelson. Uh, Gary writes, Nelson's college coach, college coach, Kansas State's legendary Bill Snyder, said in 2007 that the wide receiver was just a neat, neat guy. And that is a direct quote from Bill Snyder. And if there's a better description of Jordy Nelson, I haven't heard it yet. He just seems like a pretty neat, neat sort of guy. Sticking with the wide receiver theme, Gary and I debated the value of backups on the Packers roster. That was our main topic for last week, talking about where we had players ranked throughout the roster. And uh, we we talked about the top end of the roster, the top end in particular, or the top 10 in particular, that is, uh, last week on the podcast. But I wanted to spend a little bit longer talking about one particular disagreement that Gary and I had over Jeff Janis. I had him ranked as my number 73 player on the Packers roster out of 90. He's probably moved up a couple slots since then with the release of a couple other guys. But I still, I would stand by that rating today and I would probably put him in the 70s again. I wrote in the piece on the blog that it's because I don't think Jeff Janis is really a wide receiver. He's only a receiver in the same way that guys like Dimitri Goodson are technically cornerbacks. In reality, both of those guys actually play the same position. They're special teams coverage guys, and they only occasionally have some sort of cameo on offense or on defense with their particular position group out of necessity. Now, Dimitri Goodson did play a little bit of corner last year down the stretch, and I think even in the playoffs, I'm trying to remember exactly when that bad injury he had was. 
But nobody really wants him playing at cornerback. He's a special teams guy. He covers very well on punts, on kickoffs. He's fast. He's pretty big for a corner. But nobody really wants him out there covering wide receivers because he hasn't shown that he can do it consistently. You say the same kind of thing about Jeff Janis. Has all the physical attributes, but he hasn't shown an ability to really produce consistently when he's actually on the field with the wide receiver. And that's fine. It's okay if Jeff Janis is only ever a really good special teams player. Guys carve out long, long careers in the NFL doing exactly that. And at a position like wide receiver where you need a whole bunch of bodies, it's pretty much fine that he is just a special teams player. I wrote at length about this last year. There was a guy who played for the San Diego Chargers, the then San Diego Chargers, I guess you have to say now, and the Jacksonville Jaguars and made Pro Bowls year in and year out. His name was Kasim Osgood. About the same physical size as Janice, big, strong, fast, nominally a wide receiver. Never really got it together on offense, and he just covered punts and kicks for his entire career and was really, really good at it. That's fine. You can make a career out of that, like I said, and if that's all Janice ever is, that's fine. But I don't think he's more than that to the Packers right now, and if they find somebody who's almost as good on special teams and can actually contribute on offense... I think Janice is going to get his walking papers, not for lack of trying and not because he's not good on special teams, but I just think that's the kind of player that he is. He might even be a little bit like Jarrett Bush, which was fine. Again, Bush contributed for a long time on special teams and even had some spectacular moments in the playoffs, had an interception in Super Bowl 45 for crying out loud, but you'd never want him out there on a regular basis covering opposing wide receivers and It turned out that just his special teams contributions were enough to keep him around for quite a while with the Packers. We're going to talk a little bit about Clay Matthews here in a second, but first I want to tell you about one of the easiest ways that you can support the Power Sweep. Sign up for our email newsletter. You can do it in about 10 seconds at thepowersweep.com. There's a sign-up box on the right side of the homepage. All you have to do is drop in your email address and you will get our weekly newsletter just as easily as that. It goes up every time we put out a new episode of Blue 58, and it'll give you a roundup of some of the things we produced most recently on the blog. It's worthwhile. We won't ever spam you, and it's a great way to stay connected with what we're doing at thepowersweep.com and here at Blue 58, and it'd mean a whole lot to us if you were willing uh, to sign up there. So sign up for the email list today. It's real easy. It'll take you 10 seconds on the homepage. Do it today. I would like to spend a little bit of time today talking specifically about Clay Matthews. Specifically, what do we, or the Packers, do with Clay Matthews in 2017? 2009 was a long time ago, the year he was drafted by the Packers. Now Clay Matthews has just turned 31. He's had double-digit sacks just once in the past four seasons. He's making a lot of money. He has a base salary of $10 million this year and a cap hit of more than $15 million for this year alone. So what do you make of Clay Matthews heading into 2017? Arguably, he's the second fiddle among the Packers pass rushers right now. Nick Perry was more consistent last year than Matthews was, did have fewer injury issues than Matthews did, but he put up better numbers. He was more of a problem for offenses to scheme around He was better rushing the passer, and I would be willing to bet that he was significantly better against the run than Clay Matthews was last season. So with that in mind, with the departure of guys like Julius Peppers and Dayton Jones, who also soaked up a lot of those pass rushing reps, 
what do we do with Clay Matthews? Let's take a look at the good and the bad before we try to predict or at least advise, look at a little bit more closely what the Packers could do with Matthews in 2017. On the plus side, there is actually a lot. I think there is. I think there are a lot of reasons to still be excited about Clay Matthews as a football player in 2017. And one of them may be a reason that you don't entirely expect. For starters, he's versatile. He has shown that he can rush the passer from the outside, from the inside, generally playing inside linebacker pretty well. Can even cover if he has to. Not great, not an elite level, not as well even as some of the sort of hybrid guys, even like uh, Michael Hyde, who ended up playing in the slot as a safety, even a sort of de facto linebacker a little bit last year. He doesn't cover like that, but he covers pretty well for the kind of player that he is, an athletic, bigger sort of linebacker guy. It's interesting, I think, to note that a lot of people thought that inside linebacker could be Matthew's best best path to the NFL. Uh, If you go back and read a lot of the scouting reports, almost every single one of them mentioned that he could play inside linebacker if he wanted to. He actually has a pretty serious pedigree uh, on that particular front via his dad, who we wrote about on the blog this particular week as well. His dad played at linebacker, inside linebacker, uh, for almost 20 years in the NFL, which is almost inconceivable now, but he did it. And uh, although it was a different game back then, um, Matthews, he has as good a shot as, as anybody as, as, as at playing both outside and inside linebacker. So versatility, a big plus in his favor. And he can succeed anywhere. He's not just versatile. It's not just that he's able to play these positions. He can play them well. According to Pro Football Reference's approximate value stat, his 2015 season where he played virtually the entire year as an inside linebacker start to finish was apparently tied for his second best season ever. Tied with 2014, a year in which he also spent a significant amount of time at inside linebacker. He didn't put up those big pass rushing numbers in either of those two years, although he did have 11 sacks in 2014, but he still contributed to the Packers' defense uh, in ways that other players who aren't as versatile weren't able to. 2014 in particular, the Packers had a top 10 defense according to the Defense adjusted value over average stat from football outsiders. They were a top 10 defense. They were a Super Bowl caliber defense. And a lot of it had to do with Clay Matthews playing in the middle, kind of reading, reacting, being involved in every phase of the defense. One more sneaky good thing about Clay Matthews heading into 2017 and really beyond his contract. I know I just said a little bit ago that he makes a lot of money, and that's a little bit concerning for this season. But look at it this way. He has two years left on his deal. And if the Packers were to cut him after this season, after 2017, if things didn't go well, they would have a cap figure for Matthews of exactly $0. He would not count against their 2018 cap at all, despite having multiple millions of dollars left on the value of his contract. Now, Russ Ball can be a cutthroat negotiator, But this is one where he came up really well for the Packers. They signed Clay Matthews to a big extension. And to have any sort of year where the Packers could get out of it without having any money count against their cap has to be a huge, huge credit to the Packers' front office. Take a little bit of heart. Even if things don't go well for the Packers at all 
and Clay Matthews falls completely off a cliff, they can be out of his contract after this year with zero financial obligations at all going forward. It wouldn't hurt them one little bit. Now, here's the bad with Clay Matthews. And out of all fairness, we have to say that there is quite a bit of bad, too. He has not been consistently healthy in a long time. And I saw last year a lot of people sort of disputing that that notion, along with the idea that Eddie Lacy was frequently hurt for the Packers. I know neither of them necessarily missed a lot of games. Matthews, not even last year. He did play in 12 of 16 games. Uh, not a full slate, but it wasn't like he missed half the year either. But he's he clearly played hurt a lot, and it affected him in a huge way down the stretch. He had that shoulder injury after that hit from Alan Barber in Philadelphia, and it seemed like he was just de- dealing with all sorts of other little small issues throughout the entire year. He never seemed like he was at full strength. He's been playing hurt for a long time, and there's a lot of mileage on his body. For way of comparison, uh, Randall Cobb is a good name that should come to mind when you think about Matthews playing hurt or playing via injuries. Not necessarily even playing through injuries, but just getting those injuries, getting that wear and tear as a result of how he plays. Cobb has been a huge contributor for the Packers over the past few years, even with a changing role. He's not so much just that slot receiver anymore. He has to play a little bit of outside receiver. He has to play in the backfield in addition to doing the things that he does out of the slot. And he always throws himself, almost literally throws himself, into every single play with such kind of reckless abandon that those nagging little bumps and bruises and and little things just kind of seem to add up over time and maybe contribute to sort of a a diminishing amount of success. I think we saw that from Cobb a little bit last year. He does get a little bit banged up from time to time. And I think you see the same sort of thing out of Matthews. He plays with such physicality that you can't help but get a little bit banged up over the course of a season. And I wonder if some of those things are starting to accumulate for Matthews and slow him down a little bit, maybe more than than they should at this point of, of his career, keeping in mind that he is 31 years old. Plus, I think another negative for Matthews is that he isn't always super on board with the idea of playing inside linebacker. He's been a good soldier and he's done it, but I just wish he would do it a little bit more and that the coaches would seem more comfortable with the idea of playing him there a little bit more consistently. He can be effective there, and he has been effective there, and I wish he would just kind of lean into this idea of being not just an outside linebacker, but maybe just a defensive contributor who will line up all over the place, sometimes at outside linebacker, sometimes at one outside linebacker spot, sometimes at the other one. Sometimes he's on the left, sometimes he's on the right. Sometimes he'll line up inside and rush from there or line up inside and flare out to cover somebody in the flat. I wish he would do those things a little bit more. And sometimes it seems just from the outside, and I realize this is a a little bit of speculation, but sometimes it seems like he's dragged his feet a little bit on the idea of playing uh, inside linebacker in addition to playing outside linebacker. Those are the two big negatives I see for Matthews. He gets a little bit banged up, and he isn't always maybe as open to the idea of that sort of versatility factor as perhaps he should be. So what do we do with Clay Matthews? Well, that is the real question, isn't it? What do the Packers do with Clay Matthews in 2017? And I wish I had some big dramatic conclusion that we could 
build up to for this entire discussion. But really, the answer for me is that I don't know what you do with Clay Matthews. For me, I don't think he's that consistent outside linebacker player that if you had to, you could just throw out there as a pass rusher on every snap of a game and be just fine or or feel really good about it. I don't think he's that sort of player anymore. It's interesting to me that he has continued to toy with this idea of playing inside despite the fact that he likes it so little. It, it's, it's interesting that that keeps getting forced on him despite his, his professed preference for playing outside. The Packers clearly see that they need more from Matthews than just what he gives them as a pass rusher, particularly over these past couple of seasons. Maybe with the transition to this more hybrid inside linebacker role, that would uh, free up Matthews for being more of that outside player exclusively than he was in the past. I don't know what 2017 holds for Matthews. I don't have a lot of confidence that he's going to be even 85% of the player that he was at his absolute peak in 2000, probably 10 and 11 and maybe 2012. I do think he can be a lot better than he was in 2017, and I do think he's going to have to be a little bit more open to the idea of playing sort of a hybrid role, playing all over the defense than he has been in the past. Otherwise, we could be a lot closer to the end of the Clay Matthews era in Green Bay than we would like to admit. Hey, while I've got you here, one more thing I wanted to mention about Gary's list of uh, interesting things about the Packers wide receivers. D'Angelo Yancey, the Packers fifth round draft pick this year, one of them originally committed to the university of Kentucky in 2012, but he was told he didn't fit with their offensive system after the Wildcats fired their head coach, Joker Phillips. This commitment came in the year 2012, just over a year after Randall Cobb left the University of Kentucky and became a member of the Green Bay Packers. I think that's interesting because sometimes I think we forget exactly how young Randall Cobb was when he came into the NFL. As you may remember, he was the first person born in the 1990s to score a touchdown or the first person to score a touchdown who was born in the 1990s. A bunch of them have since then and still is only 26 years old. He won't be 27 until August 22nd of this year. I think that's interesting, and I think it, it does bode pretty well for uh, Cobb having a bit of a bounce back year this year, at least in terms of statistical production. But that is a discussion for another day. I think that's about a show for this week. And in lieu of Gary not being here, I will talk us out for this particular podcast. You can find us all over the internet. We're, of course, at thepowersweep.com, but you can also find us at Facebook and Twitter by typing www.facebook.com slash thepowersweep or the same thing slash thepowersweep or twitter.com into your favorite internet browser. Just don't use Internet Explorer. It won't work because Internet Explorer is bad. You can also reach out to us via thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. I have pretty regular correspondence with a, with a couple readers and listeners out there. And I would love to add more to that list. It's always interesting to me and to Gary 
to hear the things that you are concerned about or that you would love to hear us talk about or write about a little bit more. Never hesitate to reach out. Finally, we'd love to hear from you just in general on Facebook, on Twitter, via email. Any feedback that you give me or Gary helps the power sweep at Blue 58 become a better place for all of us and makes us all smarter Packers fans. And as I say every week, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. For Gary Zillaby, I am John Meerdink. We will see you next week on Blue 58.